This morning we come before you and just ask that you will uh, be with Kevin and Janet as they travel this morning. May you bring them safely home. And we pray that as we gather now in your name, Lord, that you'll teach us, that you'll, you'll use your word, Lord, to speak to us, that, uh, Lord, that our hearts would be prepared to receive uh, the great truths that are, are embedded within your active and living word, Lord. May we draw near to you. May you draw near to us, Lord. We thank you that you've given us your spirit. You've given us your son. You've made provisions for us such that we can come before you. We can stand in your presence, Lord. You've made it such that that's the case, that through the righteousness of your son imputed to our account that uh, we can do that. We thank you so much for that. We thank you that you've given us the ability to pray, Lord, that we can cry out to you as we've been studying this month, and we just thank you for that. We pray now that you will uh, just speak to us, and we thank you for the worship time, a time of praising you, a time now to study your word, and we ask that you would be present here today and be pleased to help us, because we are in desperate need of your help. Uh, when we gather, as we handle your word, help us to handle it well. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. So most of you probably have a device like this, either, you know, maybe in your hand, uh, possibly. There, there's, I got one taker, it's in the hand. Uh, we've got others that maybe in the pocket, maybe in the purse. Uh, but they, they've become extremely prolific, the, these these communication devices, and it's hard to really even imagine a world that doesn't have, you know, that, that wouldn't have this. You know, when you think back, like, how did we do that when we didn't, we couldn't, <laughs> I mean, it's hard to imagine what we did back then, but we made it, but, uh, uh, you, know, the, you know, you look at the, these devices and you say, you know, they do a relatively good job at providing the intended functionality of communications and, and, you know, interfacing and things of that nature to the internet and whatnot. And we've come a long way since the, the 40s, and then you see these cell phones down here in the late 90s and 2000s that, you know, they, they started out pretty clunky, and then they got smaller and smaller and smaller, and of course, now they're getting bigger and bigger and bigger. It's sort of interesting how the ways of man, we just sort of, I'm not sure what we want today, but uh, it, it, it's interesting nonetheless, but if you stop and you, you think about the technologies here, there's, there's still some significant limitations, and uh, there's, there's coverage issues. We, we sometimes will be out, I'll be somewhere up in the Rockies or out, who knows where, out in the country, and no, no coverage. That, that's, a, that's a classic uh, limitation. Uh, sometimes there's channel limitations. As engineers, we try to design as many, as much throughput as we can through a substation uh, but at the end of the day, there's still limitations. There's, you, could, you may get the air, you know, coming out of a major sporting event or something, the channel, no, no channels available. Um, that, that can happen. Um, the battery life is good, but it's, it's not indefinite. And when you actually are in talk mode, it's even shorter yet as the, as the power amplifier is in there trying to communicate with the tower. Uh, so there, there's certain limitations. Also, like if you're under the water, you know, they, they made them water resistant and they're decent. But as far as their ability to actually communicate, if I take mine, you know, 50, 60 feet under the water, go down here to Table Rock, go diving down underneath, maybe get swallowed by a fish like Jonah, and I have to try to call, it might be a little difficult, right? The, the device may struggle at getting the communication link uh, established. Um, 
And, you know, we've made massive improvements, there's no question, in, in the functionality and, and the, way that, the way we interface with them, you know, is, is, is pretty impressive. Uh, but yet still, you know, if you think about the basic communication factor, you have a little teeny micro speaker, mono, I'm an audio guy, so, you know, you've got, you've got this little teeny microphone, okay quality, you know, it has to be really cheap. Then you've got a little teeny micro speaker, and, and it's mono, and, and, and yet if I'm talking to you face-to-face, you'll hear stereo, you'll hear direction, you'll hear re- reverberation off of walls. You'll, communication face-to-face is totally you know, different than through a device like this. So that's why companies like Apple and Samsung, and, and even the company that I work for, which is more of an audio company, but they, we, they spend millions upon millions of dollars to figure out how we can interface these devices to the human beings of the world. What can we do to improve the, the, the machine-to-human interface? And they, they try to make it better and better. And, and uh, you know, things like Apple's, you know, the, the haptic technologies with touch, like the cool little, the little home, you know, button that, that you, you'd think, it, it's got to be moving and depressing in, but then when you shut the power off, you're like, well, wait a second. That isn't a mechanically moving button as far as it's depressing. And they do these cool things. And they, and they embed, you know, uh, you know, sensors in there that can read your, your fingerprint. And, and now they've got advanced speech recognition and advanced language, you know, uh, you know, interpretation. And the wearable technology that's coming out every day with it's monitoring your heart rates and your blood pressure and everything that it can look out from the outside is what they're monitoring. And now, you know, Apple announced last month this incredible, you know, technology that a lot of major companies are working on around AI with machine learning and deep neural network technology that, that uh, allows the, the system, especially when they have cool sensors, to, to learn your face and map your face. And they're, now they're going to do away with the home button. And now you'll just look at it and let the, the, the neural network and the AI say, yeah, that's, that's Joel, right? And I'll unlock the screen for him. And, and that, that's, how it's, that's how the new iPhones are, are going to be. And, and, you know, I was at a conference listening to a technologist and he was speaking about that very thing and, and all these companies pushing AI and, and it's a huge push with these neural network technologies and things. And by the way, that, I'm more of just a simple electronics hardware guy. So even though I use big terms like neural networks, I got to defer to you know, the algorithmic people. But nonetheless, it, it's, they're all doing this work. And you, and you say, you know, they, they've gotten it down to one in a million accuracy on their face recognition. And, and you'd say, wow, this is really impressive. And the, and the technologist was saying that the, even there will become a day where pretty soon we're the lip reading. You won't even have to speak or anything. You, just, you could just talk to it. You know, and, it, and it'll just tell you, it'll just read your lips. And, and uh, you know, these are the directions of some of these things. And as good as they are at interfacing and reading us, uh, I could do something right now that the most powerful supercomputer on the planet could not read, could not decipher, could not figure out. Even if I was willing to fill the whole rest of the building with Cray supercomputers and liquid Coulomb and all the cool stuff. And even if I was to lay down and let all the scientists come in and 
hook sensors all over me. And, and, I, and we have a lab in San Francisco that I see pictures of of these people with le- electrodes all over their bodies. And you're like, this is wild stuff. But, you know, even if I was willing to do that and, and willing to lay down and let them, you know, slide me with sensors and in- MRI machines and CAT scans and, and, you know, all kinds of, whatever scan that human beings could think of, get all the researchers together and just, you know, whatever you want to do to try to figure out what I'm about to do. Because I'm about to communicate, I'm about to do something that you could never decipher, even with the most advanced neural networks and deep learning, as they call it, and the machine learning. And, and I'll give you a demo of this. So you try to catch this now. This, this could be a little tricky here. So I'm going to do something. I'm going to demonstrate something to you that no supercomputer could decipher or read. And, and by the way, if you happen to be an engineer or a hacker, and you think, I want to figure out a way to spoof that communication link that he's about to employ. I want to figure out a way to jam that communication system, because that's what hackers and you know, people like to do. So that if you want to try, give it a shot. But here, here we go. I'll, I'll give you a countdown so you know when I'm about to invoke the, the comms link. Okay, here we go. One, two, hold on now. It's tricky. Very advanced system now. When you have this advanced of a system, you gotta takes a lot. All you gotta talk to all the engineers here. Three, here we go. Here we go. Three. I'm gonna connect. Here we go. I just communicated with the most powerful being known to man, the Creator of heaven and earth. And they would never be able to take that from me. They couldn't take. It doesn't matter what they were to take from me, my, my, my house, my family, uh, my job, throw me into prison, put me under the water, bury me at the bottom of the ocean, you know, send me, drop me into a, you know, from, the, from the sky on an airplane, take me to the North Pole where we don't have any communication systems or whatnot. And whatever you want to try to do, you, you could never take that from me. And there were guys that... that, that that uh, there, there are people in the past that were known to be people of prayer. And we should be willing to take advantage of that communication link. We should understand the magnitude of this link. There was a person that I know thousands of years ago that did speak and she did move her lips. And someone looked and said, that's weird. She, like what I just did when I was talking to the phone. He said, that's sort of odd. <laughs> Eli looked over and he saw Hannah and she, she's moving her mouth but she's not saying anything. I wonder what's going on there. (laughs) She's communicating with God, and and we need to take advantage of that. We need to use prayer. We need to realize the great gift we've been given in it, and today I want to consider an individual who who was known for his utilization of this comms link with God. In fact, some people that were against him that said, we want to try to kill this guy, they did they tried to think, what could we get to trap this guy? And they, they looked and they looked and they said, there was nothing. No, no, he, they couldn't find any law in, infringement or breakage that, or, or infraction that they ever get done. And so they said, well, I know how we can get him. Because he prays to his God. And we can trap him in that. And so what they did is they went in the 5th century. This, of course, is the man Daniel, known to pray multiple times a day in his house uh, and they couldn't figure out, but then they, they went to the king and they said, okay, this is what they said. 
These commissioners, these government officials and satraps came by agreement to the king and spoke to him as follows. King Darius, live forever. All the commissioners of the kingdom, the prefects and the satraps, the high officials and the governors have consulted together that the king should establish a statute and enforce an injunction that anyone who makes a petition to any god or man besides you, O king, for 30 days shall be cast into the lion's den. Now when Daniel knew that the document was signed, he knew the document was signed, he entered his house. Now in his roof chamber, up at the very top of his house, he had windows, not closed, but open towards Jerusalem. And he continued kneeling on his knees three times a day, praying and giving thanks before his God, as he had been doing previously. Then these men came by agreement and found Daniel making petition and supplication before his God. And they said, aha, we got him now. He, he, did, he fell right, hook, line, and sinker right into our trap. Daniel didn't go into his basement to pray. He didn't say, I'll have to forego my prayer today. He didn't say, I got to figure out a way to hide this prayer. Oh, maybe I should just close the blinds today. Maybe that, oh, I can hide that way. He, he, he just continues, as I, I, I'm not going to let them take this away from me, even if it means costing my life. I will never abandon my communication with my God. Uh, that's the man that Daniel was. And you, you, you see the importance of his prayer life to him. And you'd say, well, what was he saying in these prayers? What was his heart like when he would pray to the Lord? Can we learn anything or find anything about what he would say to the Lord his God? And the answer to that is, yes, we can. We can find out how he approached the Lord uh, how did he utilize this communication path? What did he say? We can learn these things as we advance a little further into his book in chapter 9. Uh, and it's a great prayer of confession and intercession on behalf of the people of Israel in chapter 9. And confession is something that the New Testament gives us you know, uh, instructions on. 1 John 1.8, if we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That is true. Amen. It is true that when we confess our sins, he's faithful to forgive. James also goes on in a similar mode. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another concerning these issues so that you may be healed. The effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. And that's what we're going to read about in Daniel 9. The effective prayer of a righteous man confessing sin before the Lord his God. And he lived out these New Testament instructions. Daniel lived them out far before they were even, even penned because of the very spirit that was in him directing him in that way. So flipping to Daniel 9, we find this story. In the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus of Median descent, who was made king over the kingdom of the Chaldeans, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, observed in the books the number of the years which was revealed as the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet for the completion of the desolations of Jerusalem, namely 70 years. So I gave my attention to the Lord God to seek him by prayer and supplications with fasting and sackcloth, 
and ashes. And I prayed to the Lord my God and confessed and said, Alas, O Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant and loving kindness for those who love him and keep his commandments. We have sinned, committed iniquity, acted wickedly, and rebelled, even turning aside from thy commandments and ordinances. Moreover, we have not listened to thy servants, the prophets, who spoke in thy name to our kings, our princes, our fathers, and all the people of the land. Righteousness belongs to thee, O Lord, but to us open shame, as it is this day. To the men of Judah, the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and all Israel, those who are nearby and those who are far away, and all the countries to which thou hast driven them, because of their unfaithful deeds which they have committed against thee, open shame belongs to us, O Lord, to our kings, our princes, and our fathers, because we have sinned against thee. To the Lord our God belong compassion and forgiveness, for we have rebelled against him. Nor have we obeyed the voice of the Lord our God to walk in his teachings, which he set before us through his servants, the prophets. Indeed, all Israel has transgressed thy law and turned aside, not obeying thy voice. So the curse has been poured out on us, along with the oath which was written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, for we have sinned against him. Thus he has confirmed the words which he had spoken against us and against our rulers who ruled us to bring on us great calamity. From under the whole heaven there has not been done anything like what was done to Jerusalem. As it is written in the law of Moses, all this calamity has come on us, yet we have not sought the favor of the Lord our God by turning from our iniquity and giving attention to thy truth. Therefore the Lord has kept the calamity in store and brought it on us, for the Lord our God is righteous with respect to all his deeds which he has done, but we have not obeyed his voice. And now, O Lord our God, who has brought thy people out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand and has made a name for, for thyself as it is this day, we have sinned, we have been wicked. O Lord, in accordance with all thy righteous acts, let now thine anger and thy wrath turn away from thy city Jerusalem, thy holy mountain, for because of our sins and the iniquities of our fathers, Jerusalem and thy people have become a reproach to all those around us. So now, our God, listen to the prayer of thy servant and to his supplications. And for thy sake, O Lord, let thy face shine on thy desolate sanctuary. O my God, incline thine ear and hear. Open thine eyes and see our desolations in the city which is called by thy name. For we are not presenting our supplications before thee, on account of any merit of our own, but on account of thy great compassion. O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, listen and take action. For thine own sake, O my God, do not delay, because thy city and thy people are called by thy name. Pretty incredible prayer here that Daniel pours out before the Lord. And I think there's a number of key takeaways here and lessons we can learn as we study how he approached God and how he prayed. Uh, first off, I want us to go back to the beginning of the prayer and see what he did. He, he actively engaged God's word, leading him to a heart of prayer. This is a key point for Daniel. Uh, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, observed in the books 
the number of the years which was revealed as the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet for the completion of the desolations of Jerusalem, namely 70 years. So we need to note what motivated this prayer we just read. He's actively studying and engaging God's word. And as he did so, it moved him greatly as he saw God's word, as he beheld beheld what it had to say to the people of God. It moved him. He began to see that God has a timetable here. He had to take into consideration the prophecies that many of us sometimes say, well, it's prophecy. It's too hard to figure out. Well, Daniel's, I'm going to study this. I want to know what it says. And by doing so, he finds this 70-year statement that comes up. Uh, and he sees that God has this timetable. And there's a time to cry out now for prayer. Now, it's key to note that in the first statement, Daniel makes it very, very clear when this was. This would have been 538 B.C., this first year of the reign of this king, Ahasuerus. And you, you say, this is when Daniel went and was studying the word. So we've got a picture now of a guy in 538 B.C. engaging the word of God actively, studying out the prophecies and the promises written to God's people. And what does he see? He knows that the exile occurred, those that don't know the whole story here, that Jerusalem and Judah, the southern kingdom, had been captured. The northern kingdom had already fallen, but Nebuchadnezzar came and destroyed Jerusalem and destroyed the great temple that Solomon had built with all the gold and the cedar and the cypress was laid waste and the walls destroyed. And that in 605 BC, all the people of Judah carried off to the Chaldean Empire. And you do the math, you say 605 538, Daniel begins to read this in, in Jeremiah 25, and he begins to see something. He, see, he sees in 25 of Jeremiah, this is what I believe he's reading, and this whole land, speaking of Judah, shall be a desolation and a horror, the Lord says, and these nations shall serve the king of Babylon 70 years. Then it will be when 70 years are completed, I will punish the king of Babylon and that nation, declares the Lord. For their iniquity in the land of the Chaldeans, and I will make it an everlasting desolation. And just like many of biblical prophecies and God's word, you have to mine even further and a little deeper. He doesn't put it all in one chapter. You go a little later, and I'm sure Daniel went to this chapter in 29. He keeps reading. Eventually, he gets to 29. For thus says the Lord, when 70 years have been completed for Babylon, I will visit you, my people, and fulfill my good word to you to bring you back. To this place, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare and not for calamity, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. And you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. And I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and will gather you from all the nations and from all the places Where I have driven you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from where I sent you into exile. I can see Daniel reading that, and all of a sudden, it's like the light bulb moment. It's, aha, this is it. We're we're 67 years. The time is about upon us. I need to cry out to the Lord. I need to beseech the Lord and cry out for this 
sake of his people. Now was the time to ask in prayer to the Lord for his restoration. Now, one may look at this sort of thing, and this is a thing we a lot of times find we study the Bible, especially when we study prayer, is you may ask the question, if the Lord said he was going to do it, why do we need to pray about it? If the Lord is omniscient and unchangeable, and he says he's going to do something, why do we need to pray about this stuff so urgently? And this is a classic question. It's a good question. It's one we should be able to answer. And I, and I don't have the time to go into a lot of passages to make this, this uh, proof behind this, but I'll give you a quick answer. What I would say is that I believe prayer is more about us aligning to the Lord rather than us trying to figure out how to change or manipulate Him. He, he is the omniscient, unchanging God, the ancient of days. We, on the other hand, need to align, and as we approach him in prayer, and he wants to see us do that, and he looks down, and he sees the heart of this man, Daniel, pray, and he says, that's where I want him to be, and we'll, we'll get there when we get to the end here, but, but that's what I, I believe about prayer. He wants us to depend upon him. He wants our will to align to his will, and he will make sure that we are in positions in life, that we, are, that we need to do that that we are fundamentally required to depend upon him, to seek him out. And what I find totally amazing with the Jeremiah passage, this maybe you didn't catch this, but if you seek me and if you cry out to me, I will hear, I will listen. The fact that the creator of heaven and earth is willing to say, I will listen to you, right down there, a mere person down there on the earth, I, I, the guy, the one who created everything we know and see, the stars, I will listen. I will let myself be found by you. That is an amazing thing. So this is, this is Daniel as he approaches the Lord, uh, you know, engaging his word. Uh, and point number two, we see that he approaches this prayer with great preparation. And he approached it with great humbleness. We find that in verse three. So I gave my attention to the Lord God to seek him by prayer and supplications with fasting, sackcloth, and ashes. We see here that the prayer is preceded by thought and preparation and even clothing and position and where he is in his house and what he's doing and how, he's, how is he going to go before the Lord and make this great request. Now, I know we've got great biblical examples of, of quick sort of off-the-cuff prayers like Nehemiah 2.4 where Nehemiah prays real fast before he has to go into the king. Like, Nehemiah, time to go talk to the king. He's like, uh, I prayed to the Lord, and then I, and then I walked. And you're like, that, that's a good prayer as well. But in times like this, the magnitude that you see, prophetic timetable coming to fruition, the sinfulness of Judah having to be dealt with, and the magnitude, Jeremiah says, this is a special time, a special place. I need to be prepared in what I say to my God how I approach him. Uh, he even takes time to get to, to fast, lay aside his own needs beneath the desire of the other, to set aside his clothing, put on sackcloth to show that I'm willing to wear stuff that shows it, an urgent need, an urgent, urgent need. Uh, and so he approaches the Lord with this mechanism and the, this preparation. We need to see that. Uh, point three that we find in verse four 
He says, and I prayed to the Lord my God and confessed and said, Alas, O Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant and loving kindness for those who love love him and keep his commandments. Point three is this guy clearly believed confidently in the nature and character of God. And he reminded God of his character throughout his entire prayer. Over and over and over, he talked back to the Lord telling him what he believed about his God. Here's what I know about the Lord. And he opens up with this, Oh, Adonai, Yahweh, the great and awesome God, keeper of promises of faithful and merciful love to those who love you. And this will form the the backdrop of what he's about to say. This is the character, the promise-keeping God, the God of covenant The God who said he's going to do something and he will do it. Why is he opening his prayer with that? He just read about a promise the Lord made. At the end of the 70 years, I will restore. I will act. I will bring you back to this very place here in Jerusalem, which is what God's referring to in Jeremiah. And so he calls upon the the promise-keeping, the covenant God that he he believes in. and, and, And he follows this this reminder and then, and then this confession path throughout all of these, these statements that he follows up from here. Um, and that, that brings to this idea of the confession. He starts right after he talks about the Lord's character, dives into this heartfelt confession. And I think that a great point to see here is he made every effort to make sure that he did not deny, he did not minimize or overlook his sin or the sin of his people Israel. I mean, he said, we have sinned, committed iniquity, acted wickedly, and rebelled, even turning aside from thy commandments and ordinances. Moreover, you got to see it, moreover, even than that, we have not listened to thy servants, the prophets, who spoke in thy name to our kings, our princes, our fathers, and all the people of the land. Here we have this cry of confession. We have sinned. We have acted. We have rebelled. We have turned aside. We have not listened to your words. And oh, by the way, if we're talking about who did this, all of us. I'm not going to leave anybody out. He goes out to great length to stay. Kings, you know, fathers, our leaders, our princes. We've all, and all of us, have done this. And you know, we live in a fallen world. And the reality is of natural human response to sin, we're very good at something. We're very good at sort of trying to sort of, you know, just sort of, just if I can at least sort of box it and just sort of minimize it over there. Yeah, I'll call it, maybe I'll call it a sin, but, you know, let's, let, let's sort of try to minimize it and shift the blame a little bit as best we can. I mean, we do things like shift part or all of the blame to another, you know. She was the one that you gave to me. She was the one who did it. I know a guy that did that. And that was a classic technique. Uh, we sometimes make circumstances a key factor that, that caused it to happen. I was under a lot of pressure. I was just under so much stress, and that, that's why this happened. You know, my whole world was falling apart, and that's why I did this. Uh, maybe we claim ignorance about the sin. We didn't, oh, I didn't know that was, a, I didn't really know that was really a sin. Uh, you know, or, or maybe I didn't understand that it would cause a consequence. No one told me. It wasn't all that bad. I didn't think anyone would get hurt, really. Um, or the classic, just the minimization. It wasn't that big of a sin. It was just a, it was just a small thing. I mean, it wasn't, 
It wasn't the David and Uriah sort of, or Bathsheba. I mean, come on. I mean, th th that's huge. But, but my little sins is small. Maybe we did the old, this is a good classic, the old comparison to the one another. Well, you know, look at, look at that. I mean, look, I mean, I, that guy's really blown it. All you got to do is turn on the news and it's like, oh man, I'm not, I'm not doing that bad. Uh, you know, my sin isn't that bad. I'm, you know, well, it wasn't as bad as what most are doing. And, and then or we, we might shift the focus away from the sin onto other areas that we're doing better on. Well, I, I do good most of the time. I'm doing pretty well most of the time. These are classic, and we're good at this sort of thing. So little words will, will work into a sin. And I sort of did some things not the best today, this day. And you're like, well, wait a second. Was it, you, wait a second. Did you or did, did you? It, sort of? Yeah, the sort of word. You, you find that, that, that's how we operate. We'll, we'll throw in a little word. But Daniel wants to make sure, I'm not going there. He's like, I'm not, I'm not about to even go there. I want to make sure it's extremely clear that I call this what it is. I'm not going to try to use the sort of word, or we did a little bit, we made a mistake, or we sort of did, or I, I don't know, it's just sort of small. But he doesn't do that at all. He goes, he just starts hammering on it, hammering on it. We have sinned, we have committed iniquity, we have acted wickedly, we have rebelled, we have transgressed, we have not listened, we have, and you're like, wow, this guy's, I mean, man, this is, he's not wanting to leave anything out here, and I think he goes out of his way to do that. Uh, and he does this pattern of remind the Lord of his character and then show the confession. Remind the Lord. Here's the, what I know about the Lord and here's what I know about us. He goes on. He does it two more times. Nine, seven, and eight. Righteousness belong to thee, O Lord, but to us open shame as it is this day to the men of Judah, the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and all Israel, those who are nearby, those who are far away, and so on and so forth. And open shame belongs to us in verse eight. So the reminder here is, O oh Adonai, Yahweh, that's what he says in the Hebrew, righteousness belongs to you. You are right. You are holy. You're always right. But to us, what belongs to us, he says. I know what belongs to us, Daniel says. Shame. Shame. In 9, uh, 9, 9 through 11, to the Lord our God belong compassion and forgiveness. For we have rebelled against him, nor have we obeyed the voice of the Lord our God to walk in his teachings, which he set before us through his servants, his pro the prophets. Indeed, all Israel has transgressed thy law and turn, turned aside. The reminder here in these verses, to Adonai, Yahweh, our Elohim, he says, belongs compassion and forgiveness to us, rebellion disobedience, transgression, indeed, all Israel. Now, you know, we, we have many times we, we, we look at passages like this and it's, it's like, whoa, this is, this is heavy stuff. You know, this is, this is tough, to, tough to take, you know, this is, this is hard. And you're like, well, how does this, how, what would Jesus say and how would he apply these, these passages? And we don't like to think about you know, shame, and we don't like to think about the consequences and the reality of sin, and, and yet I think that we need to be careful and understand the magnitude of sin and, and realize that this confession and interceding process that we have for others, where you look at how do we pray for our families? How do we pray for our church and our churches of this country? How do we pray for our nation? It's like, Daniel, I think we do need to pray for our families. We do need to pray for our churches. We do need to pray for our nation. By the way, 
all of those entities at different points will have times where they will be wandering, wandering further and further from the, from the Lord, our God. Uh, and, you know, we, we don't like to go down this road, but the Lord Jesus spoke something to a church that I think that we need to hear because the church needs to hear this message too. And when he spoke in Revelation 3, a situation to a church that I think very much so taught, sounds very familiar to our day and age. And a warning we should heed when you talk about what, where we are relative to the Lord. Revelation 3.14, And to the angel of the Lord in Laodicea write, this is Jesus speaking, The Amen, the faithful, and the true witness, the beginning of the creation of God says this, I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I would that you were cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Because you say, I am rich and have become wealthy and, and I have need of nothing. And you do not know that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. I advise you to buy from me gold refined by fire, that you may become rich, and white garments that you may clothe yourself, and that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed, and eye salve to anoint your eyes that you may see. Those whom, the Lord, whom I love, I reprove and discipline. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. I don't throw this section out there just to, you know, keep some great burden or weight upon us other than to say there's a real trap here that the Lord's wanting to tell this church about. And, and I think it's a trap we very well can fall into. And that can be affluence and riches and wealth to where you just don't need anymore. You just, everything's, you, you got everything you need. You got the communication system. You got your computers. You got your car. You can go anywhere. You can go any place. You can get on a plane. You can fly to the other side of the world. You could, you know, you can, you got a lot in your wallet. You got a lot in your bank account. And you just don't need a whole lot. And therefore, you're sort of lukewarm about the Lord. Just, yeah, I, when I need him, I sort of call on him. You know, but it's just sort of this, lukewarm, and, and Jesus comes, I wish that you were either hot or cold. This whole lukewarm in the middle is a dangerous position, and you need to realize there's, 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 a, there's a situation that if you were to open your eyes, I wish you'd see the nakedness and the, the shame that you need to get out of that and buy from me gold and buy from me white garments. And So the Lord is altogether right and holy and there are times where we miss the mark. And the New Testament church, even to us today, we should be careful to hear what the Lord says, to know these sorts of situations exist, that we would pray that we would not fall victim to these things. By the way, you know, when we talk about passages like this, I have to say that um, the times in my life where I've had the greatest intimacy and nearness to the Lord is when I'm having to battle through some major sin or issue that I've had to deal with. And I'm on my knees. And I'm on the ground. And I'm, I'll be honest, I'm weeping concerning this. And all of a sudden, the, my love and, and need and appreciation for the, for, the, for the lamb, for the great savior of the sheep, 
all of a sudden it's, it takes on a whole new magnitude. And I'm like, you, you just, you're just so, so thankful that the Lord's able to cover that sin and cast it from him. And you, and you can embrace that and say, this is my Savior. So these situations, that's the zealousness the Lord says he wants to see. Jesus, be zealous, therefore. Turn up, turn it up. Get down on the knees. Cry out to me. Turn from those, those, those errors, those traps that, are, that the world puts in, even against the church. Turn from them and get out of there. Buy from me gold. Um, and so I think that's an incredible thing for us to hear. Point five, with the, going back to Daniel, is he knew God's word, he cited it, and he applied it, and he even repeated portions of it back to the Lord. In 9-11, he says, So the curse has been poured out on us, along with the oath which is written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, for we have sinned against him. Thus he has confirmed his words, which he had, had spoken against us and against our rulers who ruled us, to bring on us great calamity. From under the whole heaven, there has not been done anything like what was done to Jerusalem. As it is written in the law of Moses, all this calamity has come on us, yet we have not sought the favor of the Lord our God by turning from our iniquity and giving attention to thy truth. Therefore, the Lord has kept the calamity in store and brought it on us, for the Lord our God is righteous with respect to all his deeds which he has done, but we have not obeyed. And now, O Lord our God, who has brought thy people out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand, a direct reference to Deuteronomy 5, we see Daniel engaging the scriptures and citing it even back to the Lord. He talks about a curse. He talks about calamity. You're like, what is this? What is he talking about? The reality is this man knew the Bible well. He knew the, the Old Testament scripture. In fact, I don't know if you've ever read, and you say, how did he even get the book of Jeremiah? Jeremiah wasn't that far before Daniel. He had Jeremiah. This man had come with the scroll of Jeremiah. He also knows Deuteronomy well. He speaks of, of the blessing and the curses. You know, here we find in Deuteronomy eleven twenty six. see, I'm setting before you, this is Moses speaking for the Lord to the people of Israel. I set before you a blessing and a curse. And then if you go, go on into Deuteronomy and you get down to chapter 28, which I believe Daniel knew well and he had even seen it lived out, he got to see the blessings are, are poured forth in great detail in 28. And then about halfway through, he says, and here will be the curse. And then he shifts gears and he starts talking about all the curses. And it's like, wow, this is un unreal. And then he gets to 2863. And it shall come about that as the Lord delighted over you to prosper you and multiply you, that's the blessing, so the Lord will delight over you to make you perish and destroy you, and you shall be torn from the land where you are entering to possess it. Moreover, moreover, the Lord will scatter you among all peoples from one end of the earth to the other end of the earth. And Daniel, he, he's seen that. He's lived that out. He's seen his own family go through this. He's seen his people live through that very calamity that he just referred to in his prayer but he also knew how to answer in this time. He knew something more about Deuteronomy. He knew a little bit more about his God. And he knew that what it said in Deuteronomy 30, just keep reading, just keep reading into the book. And he finds this, so it shall be when all these things have come upon you, the blessing and the curse which I have set before you. And you call them to mind 
when you're in all the nations where the Lord your God has banished you, and you return to the Lord your God and obey him with all your heart and soul according to all that I command you today, you and your sons, then the Lord your God will restore you from captivity and have compassion on you and will gather you again from all the peoples where the Lord your God has scattered you. Daniel knew that as well. He says, what am I supposed to do? He says, remember, recall it to mind, the blessings and the curses. Remember what I've told you and turn back to me. You and your son and your sons and your families is what he's getting at there. And cry out to me and then I will bring this restoration. Uh, and so, the, so Daniel is very much so going back to these Old Testament scriptures and speaking back to the Lord saying, you did it. You did exactly what you said you would do. And the calamity and the curse came upon us. And, but I remember that you brought us out of Egypt with an outstretched hand, which is from Deuteronomy 5, by the way. And I, and I see that you've done all these things. And now I'm here remembering them before you, just like you said to do. I'm reciting them. I'm recalling them to mind. Uh, which leads us to the final key point that I think he knew and he held on to with everything he had, is he understood the nature of, and character of Yahweh, that there is always hope for mercy and grace and forgiveness, especially when Yahweh's name is on the line, when his people are on the line, and I would add for us today, when his bride is on the line, he, there's a door for forgiveness if you turn to him. And Daniel knew that. He says in 16, O Lord, in accordance with all thy righteous acts, let now thine anger and thy wrath turn away from thy city Jerusalem, thy holy mountain. For because of our sins and the iniquities of our fathers, Jerusalem and thy people have become a reproach to all those around us. So now, our God, listen to the prayer of thy servant and to his supplications. And for thy sake, O Lord, let thy face shine on thy desolate sanctuary, that'd be the destroyed temple. O oh my God, incline thine ear and hear. Open thine eyes and see our desolations in the city, which is called by thy name. For we are not presenting our supplications before thee on any account or any merits of our own, but on account of thy great compassion. O oh Lord, hear. O oh Lord, forgive. O oh Lord, listen and take action. For thine own sake, Oh my God, do not delay because thy city and thy people are called by thy name. Daniel knew the Lord's character of forgiveness. He knew that, that yes, he was right and holy and just and those actions of calamity and the curses that were brought upon, he was right in doing that. He's not denying any of that, but he's now calling the Lord, turn from that now to the other side of your, of your nature, to the aspect of your forgiveness that I know exists within you. That's your very character. And he cries out for the Lord to do that. And he knows something about all these things. And I would challenge us to, to, to look at this too. And this is what I love about God's word. Is there's no Old Testament prophecy of judgment against Israel that doesn't also have a thread of the restoration and the remnant. Daniel holds on to this with everything he has, knowing that God has promised a conclusion, a restoration, and I will call and I will ask him to turn. I will say, O oh Lord, turn, O oh Lord, hear us, O oh Lord, forgive these sins. Uphold 
your name. We are his people here today. We can cry out in the midst of a a nation that walks further and further astray. We too can cry out. Oh Lord, hear our prayer. Hear our cry for forgiveness. Oh Lord, turn from the, the, the ways that have gone against our country and our peoples and turn us to you. And, you know, you look at all this and you're like, this is just a gut-wrenching sort of prayer. This, this guy, is a, he's on it. He's just given everything he has and it's hard to even read and fathom the magnitude of the sin of Judah and all the things they had done. And Daniel sees it and, he, and he's making no bones about it. And yet he knows his God and he knows what, he, what he's looking towards. And you say, well, it, as tough as it is to read this, you say, was this an effective prayer? Did God hear this prayer? Did God respond where, how does Adonai, his God, respond? Is this the kind of prayer that the Lord wants from his people? And this is what I love with the story in Daniel 9, 20. Now, while I was still speaking and praying and confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel and presenting my supplication before the Lord my God in behalf of the holy mountain of God, while I was still speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision previously, came to me in my extreme weariness about the time of the evening offering. And he gave me instruction and talked with me and he said, O Daniel, I have now come forth to give you insight with understanding. At the beginning of your supplications, the command was issued. And I have come to tell you, for you are highly esteemed. So give heed to the message and gain understanding of the vision. Seventy weeks have been decreed for your people and your holy city, to finish the transgression, to make an end of sin, to make atonement for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy place. And he follows with a great prophecy that, that, he, that he tells to Daniel. My fellow brothers and sisters, may we see and never underestimate the power of prayer. From the moment he began the supplication, God said, go. God, the Father on the throne says, go. And you say, why? Why did the Lord take such delight in sending this messenger to Daniel? This was the right time. This was the right heart in the man Daniel. These were the right words. And this was a man highly esteemed by the Lord. And he says, now let's give him an answer. And not only is it, it's just not any answer, by the way. This prophecy that he's about to write, and you can read it this afternoon, is the very prophecy that Jesus, when asked, what will be the sign of your coming? Which we should be, Lord, when are you going to return? How, what will it look like? What did you tell us? And guess where he points back to? This exact prophecy that just unfolded from Gabriel's mouth about the, you know, he said, well, you remember what Jesus said? When you see the abomination of desolation set up, let the reader understand that the prophet spoke about. What prophet? Daniel. When did he get that vision? After this incredible, heart-wrenching and prayer of confession and intercession. This is the prophecy that our Lord directs us to. Uh, and so, I think this is key for us to see and hold on to that we, we, we realize the magnitude of, of the power of prayer. So these six points that I think Daniel's prayer brings forth are great for us to see. And I would ask some follow-up questions. 
What books are we engaging? Are we engaging the word of God like Daniel did? What areas of sin are we perhaps sort of minimizing and not really wanting to lay out before the throne of God so we can deal with it and let him, let us, let him pay that and, and cover it? Um, what areas are we relying on our wealth and our affluence? And we don't need the Lord here. We're good to go here. I'm just sort of lukewarm about this. I'm okay. It's, it's God, but we're, I just go to church on Sunday and that's about it. And, you know, I maybe offer a prayer or two during the week and then I go about my life. What areas are we, are we trusting in the things around us more than turning to the Lord? How do we prayerfully intercede for our families, our churches, and our nation? What kind of biblical prophecies are we searching through to better understand? Are you reading the biblical prophecies or are you one that just says, ah, you know, prophecy, I can't figure it out, so I just ignore it? Or are you reading the passages like Revelation 19? And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude as the sound of many waters and as the sound of mighty peals of thunder saying, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give the glory to Him for the marriage of the Lamb has come and His bride has made herself ready, the church. And it was given to her to clothe herself in fine linen, bright and clean, For the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. And he said to me, Write, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are true words of God. Are these the prophecies we're studying and pouring into to try to look for the Lord's return and be like the Thessalonians who just look forward to his return, crying out to the Lord, are we going before the Lord for our, for our families and our nation to say, Lord, we've gone astray. Our nation is, was once people, we too, were like that. a nation that at the beginning we started with walking with the Lord, but then, you know, little by little, little by little, little by little, and we're way over here. So Lord, we come before you today and we just uh, pray that you will help us. We uh, pray that you'll help us to have this heart of prayer like Daniel did. That we will understand that with you, you've given us an opportunity of, of grace right now and mercy and forgiveness through your son. You've nailed our iniquities. You paid the price on the cross. Lord, we, we do pray and just ask that you'll hear our prayer. Oh, Lord, hear our prayer. Oh, Lord, forgive us and our peoples and our, the times where we've wandered astray, Lord. Like David said, my sins are as many as the hairs of my head. Lord, help us to be quick to acknowledge those things before you. Lord, may you hear our prayer for our our nation. Lord, that you'll some way, shape, or form give some more time, Lord, to turn the hearts and minds of some of the people back to you. I think of us here that we can gather here today like this, but it may not always be that way. May you give a little bit more time for our kids and those that are coming after us that they may hear the good news of Jesus. That they may be able to freely come and worship before you, Lord. We pray that, uh, Lord, you'll, you'll turn our hearts and direct our eyes to you. That we may focus upon the author and perfecter of our faith. That we may lay aside the sin that so easily entangles us. And Father, may you act now today. May we be people of prayer like we've been studying this month. May we bow before you and be prepared to cry out to you. 
For you are the great and awesome God. You are a God of righteousness. You're a God of compassion and forgiveness. Extending loving kindness to thousands. But yet, Lord, we know an end will come. And you will return. Judgment will come and then you will make all things new. And we look forward to these times. And may we be people that embrace those things. And cry out to you now. We pray and ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.